Welcome to the Bar Hacks Podcast. Engaging interviews, plus tips and strategies to navigate your bar or restaurant business towards sustainable success. Now, here's your host, hospitality industry veteran, journalist, and editor, David Klempt. Hey, welcome back to the Bar Hacks Podcast. We have an awesome chef for you. She is a chopped champion, a guy's grocery games champion, and she is the head chef at Arnold's Bar and Grill, which is the oldest running restaurant in Cincinnati, Ohio, opened in 1861. So it's 161 years of history. She's also a good friend of Chef Brian Duffy, a good friend of the podcast. We have Chef Kayla Robinson and her dog. <laughs> I just heard the dog. <laughs> yes. I don't know why she just randomly barked. She's not a barker. She just wanted to be part of this. Exactly. She wanted to say yeah. hi to Duffy. So. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Duffy's the reason why I got a dog. So. Oh, okay. It's true. When I could see him in his crazy busy life be able to be not only an awesome dad, but an awesome dog dad, I was like, I can do that too. So <laughs> I did it and uh, my life has been more and more complete. Until about my early 20s, I grew up with Great Danes and yeah. it's the only dog I want by living in a condo and traveling and being so hot out here for so long, I decided it wasn't a good idea to do that to a dog, even though they're pretty lazy. They're like kind of just well, playing around. That makes you a great dog dad then. <laughs> most people wouldn't think that far in advance, but that's good that you did. So before we get started, another tip that Duffy taught me, because he has a podcast, was how can people connect with you on your social? Because you have one of the best IG profile names on the planet. <laughs> yes. So mine um, on Instagram is at Commander, the letter N, beef. So Commander and beef. Kind of a little play on um, what it is that I got my start on, which is burgers. I even got this like little burger tattoo. Nice. Yep. We did that in Vegas every year when <laughs> all of us get together at the nightclub and bar show, or just in general, when all the chefs travel together, Duffy's part of this. We all get tattoos. So I'm uh, running out of room at this point. (laughs) (laughs) My tattoo artist is in Long Beach and I have not seen him in like four years, but I have an unfinished arm that I said was only going to be his arm. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That is commitment and loyalty. I love it. He's awesome. He tattooed me on the Queen Mary once and then he tattooed me in his room at the Golden Nugget. I'm not sure how legal that is for health codes i'm not going to say his name (laughs) (laughs) i just like love it that it's at the golden nugget because like that is like vegas to a t just a tattoo in the golden nugget like that sounds like a party i want to be a part of right from there to the punk rock bowling show i think oh possibly that year so that was always that's a good idea to get tattooed and then go to a a parking lot with a bunch of punk sweaty guys guys yeah On your arm, yeah, it's got tattooed. It's, it's super healthy too. It's a great idea. I definitely yeah. recommend it. Yeah, I bet you the tattoo looked great afterwards. <laughs> Still pretty good. I forget if that was the I got a blue ring octopus from him, or if it was the sugar skull. I don't remember which one. Or it could have been my little uh, bomb with a shark face because I was in the Air Force and I worked on jets. So I don't know which one it was, but there you go. It healed. So that's the that's, that's good. Yeah. 
How did you get your start in food service and hospitality? Because this has got to be an awesome story, and you've done two food shows. I mean, it's this has got to be a story I want to hear. Yeah. So the long story short, we'll give you like the cliff notes of it, because it definitely is a long story. But <laughs> I grew up in a small town in North Dakota. And um, we get our license when we're 14 there, which is wild. So you can only imagine little me <laughs> at 14 years old. The first day I jumped in a car, I crashed it. So I had to get a job. And the first job that I was able to get was a job at a buffet um, where I was the coffee pourer girl. I would go around every nine minutes. I hate the little, like to this day, those little magnetic timers that you have that you can like stick in the kitchen. Oh. I won't, I, I hate them. Just that noise, that, that sound just irks me so bad. But every nine minutes I would go around and like top people's coffee off. That was like my first job. My mom even like bombarded me with this most embarrassing photo shoot. She like showed up with a Kodak camera and like, started snapping photos of me I literally it's a picture of me little emo Kayla at 14 years old holding up like coffee pots like yay (laughs) (laughs) so I started off there and then I kept seeing the back of house having so much fun just like the camaraderie got along with all the guys I was always kind of one of the guys like I did wrestling in high school I was just like always just hanging with the boys and I wanted to be in the back. I just thought it was so much, it looked in just fun. The energy was fun. Um, you know, cooking, I didn't even really even understand what they did. I knew they made food, but I don't think I really understood what it, what all went into the job. I just knew I wanted to be a part of it. And my boss at the time, he's very old school was like, you know, girls don't work in the back. And I just wouldn't take no for an answer. I remember when I tried to join wrestling, they said the same thing to me. They said, you could be the water girl, but you can't be a wrestler. And I was like, yeah, we're not. No is not like in my vocabulary. So we, uh, I made a bet with the owner. If I could wash dishes and bus tables, he'd put me in the back. So I did that for a few months and earned my keep. And uh, I've been in the back ever since. Started off pretty simple they put me on like salads and desserts at a buffet house so you can really only imagine what that was opening cans and and putting bags of cherry toppings in a ninth pan but I was just a part of it and I just loved the energy and from there uh, I just always worked in restaurants throughout high school and I really didn't know that I wanted to do it as a profession until I got pregnant which I got pregnant young I knew then and there that I want, I knew I wanted to go to college because no one in my family had really graduated from college and I knew I wanted to go to college, but I'm not your average like bookworm student. That was not my thing. I knew I had to be in an art in some sort. I thought my biggest dream, I was going to be a musician. I was going to be a singer. I was going to be the next Alanis Morissette. That was my that was my big dream. And um, when it kind of came to reality of like rock stars probably shouldn't have babies. And um, or I mean, they should, but maybe when they're established, and like, 
I wasn't even there yet. I was still playing at dive bars. Uh, at this time, I was 17 years old, 18 years old, playing at dive bars. So I just kind of like looked at my options and realized, oh, you could go to school for culinary. So that's what I did. I enrolled at Cincinnati State's Midwest Culinary Institute. Uh, reason why I chose Cincinnati is because my family is from here and I knew I needed help with my daughter being a single young mom. And um, I was very, very fortunate that I had a great support system that helped me with her because I moved here. Actually started in pastries and then fell into the dark side, I call it, and started playing with fire. So I traded in sugar to play with fire and and ended up graduating in culinary and pastries and had worked as a pastry chef for the beginning part of my career. And uh, then it just eventually landed back into the kitchen and worked my way up to be an executive chef. I was 24 years old when I got my first executive chef job, which oh. very young and very grateful that, you know, someone saw potential in me. It was a new restaurant um, called Nation Kitchen and Bar. And it was a burger joint. So that's hint why I got the commander beef and the little burger tattoo. Because <laughs> that's kind of where I got my start was burgers. And it's funny when people ask me what my favorite thing to cook. I used to say something I've never made before, but then Duffy made fun of me. Um, <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, yeah. I really do. I love <laughs> cooking things I have never made before because it truly is the experience of learning is what it's all about. But truly, it's definitely beef. I love to cook burgers. I love to cook steaks. I love just like the heat and the grease and it's like free hair products almost at that point because all the grease <laughs> just slicks it back every night. So it, it's just, I, I just love the fast pace of that type of uh, style cooking. And so that's kind of where I got my start. If that's the long winded answer. <laughs> Was it a bit of a shock when you went to culinary school and you were like, oh, this is what the back of house does. Because, or did you kind of balance that with that? That's not what I saw them doing when I was back of house. Was it too organized? Yes. It's so, <laughs> yes. I just remember in culinary school, I had a chef who literally made us chop parsley as fine as baby powder. If it wasn't baby powder consistency, he threw it in the trash. And I, there was literally a student that went and got a tattoo of a of a ruler on their finger so they could measure. I'm like <laughs> a little too extreme, but um, they were pretty hardcore at our school for your knife cuts and, and everything like that. So I knew right away, like that's not good use of labor. No one ever is making parsley into baby powder. So <laughs> yeah. So culinary school was great. If anyone is like thinking about going to culinary school, there's two things that like how like what I think about it, you really learn a lot of theory behind cooking, you learn structure, you learn, you know, how to be a leader in a sense, but more so just how to be a really good line cook. You also can learn that by just working in the industry itself. So, um, you know, a lot of the best chefs I know are self-taught or had a, a chef mentor who really took them under their wing. So I had an amazing experience in culinary school. I'm still very good friends with a lot of people I went to culinary school with. Actually, I just hired somebody who I was like, we hadn't seen each other since college. And now they work for me and we're having a great time. But 
it's not, you know, I, I would say you don't have to do it. You can definitely learn by just working. So you work at a restaurant that's over 160 years old. That's impressive. Yeah. Arnold's Bar and Grill. How did that role become available to you? So it's a quite interesting story. When I first moved to Cincinnati and got kind of settled in and went on my first date, it was at Arnold's Bar and Grill. And it was, you know, you walk in and it is just like blast. What do they call it? Blast from the past. Is that the, is that the saying? It, um, it really, you walk in and it is like prohibition themed just naturally. That's just how it is. It's just has not been, I mean, we've made some updates. We just got AC in the kitchen after a hundred years. So woo woo. Um, nice. But yeah, but it is old, 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 very well kept you walk in and you've got this beautiful bar and all these old photos of just history of Cincinnati and like famous people who have been a part of the bar. And then you walk through and to the courtyard and it was candlelit dinner. It was Valentine's day. That was my first date. <laughs> and <laughs> so the guy didn't work out, but the place really stuck with me. It was one that I just knew that I even said at that time. And this was like, probably only a year into culinary school at this time that I said, what a dream it would be to work here one day. And they had never really hired. They always had somebody there. So I was never seeing any like hiring for a chef until years later. Um, somebody had reached out after they had said they were looking for somebody to come in and just really redesign their culinary experience that you can have at the restaurant. And I just knew after meeting with the owner and our interview that was only supposed to be 20 minutes turned into two hours. We, I just knew I had to be a part of this culture. This was a place that I always went to on my days off to go listen to live music or drink beer or whatever it may be. And I, I just knew I had to be a part of it. So I accepted the position. This was four years ago at this point and had been the chef and still the chef there. And one day, I hope to one day own it. We'll see. <laughs> so you may have gotten used to it by now, but what is it like to run the back of house in a restaurant that's got that sort of legacy and history? So I will say when I first came on, I was very nervous because with something that's been around for so long, there's a lot of staples on the menu that cannot move. For example, we have what's called the Greek spaghetti. It's been on the menu since 1957, and it is a staple mark still. It's even after I put all these cool dishes on there, that one is still a staple mark. And it's cool because how rare is it that you get to be a part of a place where multiple generations get to be a part of as well? So this particular dish, the Greek spaghetti, I hear people talking about my grandpa's grandpa came here or whatever it may be, you know, like, it's just so cool that everyone at some point has had this entree. Um, it has not been tweaked. It is the way it is. Um, you know, as a chef, I'm like, I kind of want to add a little bit of this. And then like, if I did, I'd probably get hate meal. So I just leave it how it is because it's not broken. So it's perfect. And it sells like crazy, but definitely being a part of such a big legacy I was nervous at first, but then, I mean, this is just a special place in itself. And it really is like, 
you only understand it when you've been a part of it. There's something to be said about an establishment that has employees that have worked there for over 40 years. You know, that has something to say about that. Um, most of our employees now have been with us for anywhere from 10 to 15 years, uh, minus like some of the cooks. And we have a younger serving crew now, but management staff, 10, 15 years. Like that has a lot to say about the work culture that we have there. So it it really is, it's just an honor to be a part of it. It, it is like, it's cool to have walk through and every day I work there again, I've worked there for four years now. And every day I look around and I find something new, something that's like, it's all true stories that have been there or these photos that have been there for so long about somebody who's like done amazing things in our city. And it's really cool because when I won shop, the owner surprised me with my own plaque on the wall, which is just like, it's really honoring. Cause again, this is 106, it'll be 162 years in April, but that's 162 years of history of people who have made a difference in this restaurant, in our city, all on the wall. And then I got to be a part of it. So that's like, that was better than winning chopped. <laughs> so, You've mentioned cool. culture a couple of times now. How would you define the Arnold's culture, but also just in general, a positive culture that owners should seek to actually implement and nurture? Arnold's has a very strategic approach to obtaining our work culture. Since before I've even been there, it's been a sober environment. They hire, they work with a local rehab facility where they hire recovering addicts and they help, you know, with their journey. Um, and we supply them a job and the skills they need to either work for us or at least get a job after us, um, kind of be a part of their stepping stone in their sobriety journey. That alone says so much. Because you know that they have patience, they have a lot of understanding um, when it comes to just people's struggles, and they have the tools they need to help run a business and still have an employee be a part of the family, not just like an employee or a number or anything like that. Like they are truly a part of the family. So, you know, coming on, my first two years before COVID, my staff was all recovering addicts. And it was, you know, a, a really cool thing to be a part of having um, a very close member of my family struggle with addiction and being able to just see a different side to it. Like it was kind of healing for me in a in an interesting way. And how do you implement a culture that you're comfortable with? And that keeps your team together in the backup house. So my biggest thing is that I train my staff to one day take my job. I think that it's super important to invest in your staff. If you have the mentality that um, you don't want to show them or improve them or whatever it may be, because you're afraid that they may take your job one day, then you're just not a good, probably not a good chef and um, not a good leader. And What's great about being able to train them to be able to do everything I do is one, there's transparency there so that they can fully understand all that goes into the job that, you know, of course, as a chef, there's so many paperwork and things going on that I may not be on the line all the time or I'll be, you know, pulled in different direction where they may feel like they're doing all the work. 
But if they see, and if I'm transparent with them, and if I train them to also do the things that I do, then they're going to know. They're not going to feel like, oh, she's just back there in the office doing whatever. They're going to be like, nope, her brain's hurting because she's crunching numbers and food costs and everything's gone up 20% and she's trying to find ways to save money, you know? So it's great just to have that openness. You know, right now, my staff, I actually, for the last year, I had all females in my kitchen, which was a first. Never had an all-female kitchen staff. I've always had 50-50, but having an all-female kitchen staff was just, it, it was really great. It was just something cool to be a part of as being, a, you know, a female myself. And I also find it to be more rewarding and getting better retention and better employees when I hire them very green, which means literally no experience. They just have that passion. And that's the biggest thing with this industry is, you know, a lot of us get burnt out, but you have to, as a leader, you have to like light that passion. You got to light that spark again. You got to keep it going. And when you've got somebody young, you know, you as a leader inspired or should be to literally teach them everything. And, and they get inspired by that. I have had four line cooks work for me that are now executive chefs themselves. And it is just such an honor to see them have, I taught them how to either hold a knife or wash a dish properly, or what knife pans are. And now they are running an entire kitchen and it's, and it's really, really cool to see how they do it. And it's cool to see even ways that I run my kitchen, how they've adopted their own ways or ways that I've done it as well. So that it's really cool. Other things I do to improve our culture. I have a disco ball in the kitchen and we have disco Saturdays. We play ABBA and whatever random, you know, disco songs that I hit the Pandora list. And we just have fun because Saturdays are the hardest shifts. You know, for us, it's our last shift of the week because we're, we're closed Sunday, Mondays and Tuesdays. So to have just a little bit fun, quirky fun. Um, I know that's not the same for everybody, but for us, it just works. It really does work. We also make sure we do not have a front of house, back of house mentality. Our servers are so quick to jump in and help prep anything we need help. Honestly, I've had two servers now convert to the back. Like that is incredible. They're going to be, and they are already incredible employees because they know every single position in the restaurant. So it it really is great. It's just a, it's a fun work culture. I literally get to go work with my friends and I always tell my staff, I'm your coworker until I have to be your boss. Just don't make me have to be your boss. And that's kind of how we do it. It's funny you mentioned the, you know, you teach them everything and you want them to move on. Chef Duffy said the same thing. He, a little more bluntly, he's like, I don't want you to be here three years from now. Like, I want you mm-hmm. to get the experience. What do you do, though, when you have someone you really love working with and they don't want to go? Like, how do you how do you deal with that? And they don't want to leave? Yeah, they, they really just want to work with you. Like, they want to keep wanting to work for you. And like, yeah. How do you move them on? That's great. I mean, my sous chef's been with me three years now and we we just implemented a really new unique structure in our kitchen where she is essentially being promoted to executive chef while I am still managing and overseeing everything. 
but I'm going to explore some other options that I have in my career that thanks to Chopped and Guys Grocery Games have, you know, been able to come my way. But, you know, she's getting promoted and she, I, I feel like her and I will be a team for a very long time at Arnold's. And I think that's great. I, I'm very fortunate that I have someone that wants to be with me that long. Um, a lot of my other staff, you know, I just had, I just had lunch with one who worked for me for a year and then she left to go live in a van for like three months and, and cook and find herself. She's 19 years old. You know, she came to me with zero experience. And now, I mean, she is one of, I call her a unicorn. I called my friend up and said, you know, if you're hiring, this is a girl you're going to want to work for you. She doesn't need to work for me anymore. She's got what she needs. She's learned what she needs to learn. She can go on and work for my friend who does much more elevated, complex food. And she is just going to be an incredible cook, probably one day chef. I know she'll be a chef one day. So, it, you know, it's great when I have people who want to stay with me, of course, that the more the better, but that doesn't like, I want them to go on and do things just like Duffy said too. If you're with me in three years, like if you're not promoted, I, you know, I would want, I would rather you go on and do things. I had a cook who worked for me when he was 17, he's 24 now. And, um, he worked for me for two years and he asked if one day he could be, you know, a manager, one of my sous chefs as we were opening more locations. And I told him, I said, you're too good to be here. Like you need to go on and do not saying like, I guess too good to be here is not the term, but I knew flipping burgers and doing the burger life, like what I and I enjoy is not what he loves. You know, he needed to really go on and do some cool stuff. And he is doing some really cool stuff. I told him one day I will work for him because I know I will learn a lot from him. He's into fermenting and like all these crazy things that I have, I've dabbled with, but I'm not the master of. So I will learn from him, which is just super cool. Hi there. Just a quick message before we get you back to this episode. If you're looking to take your bar, restaurant, or hospitality business to the next level, I mean to profits of 12 to 15% or more, it's time to take action. Let's start creating your roadmap to success with our proprietary strategies, tools, resources that will inspire your team, activate your potential, and lead your hospitality brand to margins you never thought possible. Visit krghospitality.com right after this episode for more information. Now, back to the Bar Hacks podcast. How do the owners of Arnold's handle that kind of turnover? Because there's turnover because people aren't, aren't happy or they're not working out. But then there's turnover where in the back of house, perhaps even you know, behind a bar where this person needs to move on for the better of betterment of their own career. Is Arnold's cool with that? Have they ever been like, hey, we, we love that person. Why are you letting them go? Nope, they love it. Honestly, they really do. The owner is all about, I mean, even to me, he is like my little PR guy. He's always out there trying to like get me gigs to do bigger and better. Like he wants me to go on and do bigger things. He wants me like last summer, I almost signed a deal to open up my own restaurant. And he sat me down and was like, let's look at this together because I want to make sure that this is a good move for you. And if it's not like, I want you to know what you're about to get into because he cares. And that's truly like, uh, that is Arnold's culture to a T. We are honored to be a part of people's stepping stones. We are honored to give somebody 
opportunities. I mean, really, we with being the oldest establishment, we really do have like this cool aspect of being able to do whatever we want for the most part, because, you know, Arnold's is Arnold's. It's there. It survived the Civil War, the Depression, the riots in 2000, COVID. Like, we're here to stay. We're not going anywhere. So it's really cool that we have that type of flexibility and means to be able to just, you know, have people go on and do all these bigger, better things. Again, that's what Arnold's has been a part of way before even I was a part of this culture um, with them being a part of the, the, you know, rehab facility and helping people get back on their feet and then sending them off to go do things that they want to do, which is super cool. My staff before COVID you know, one got custody of his kid and, and, and the other one's doing like, they all have great jobs and are going to college and like all these cool things. And that is awesome that Arnold's was supporting them through that. And, and they went on and just did amazing things. And that is wholeheartedly the culture. That is incredible. And I hope a lot of other operators who are listening to this look for those opportunities in their own markets, because I mean, giving someone that kind of opportunity and making that part of your culture. I mean, that's how you, that's, I, I, I often say that like we're the cornerstone of all the communities that we're in, the restaurants and the bars and that Arnold's proves that then every day with their actual culture, not just, oh, we'll do this for PR. Like it's, it yeah. sounds like it's ingrained in the actual culture. It really is. I can tell you a lot of staff who go on to do other things. Um, you know, we get a lot of college students. So when they move on, um, they get their big boy, big girl job, whatever it is that they went to school for. But they still try and have one shift a week with us because they love Arnold's. Like, it's really cool. So we have, like, it's cool. Anytime we need pickups, we're able to just bust out the Rolodex and get every employee that's basically worked for us because they always want to come back. They still want to be a part of Arnold's at any capacity. And that's a great lesson for operators to think more long term. When you have a positive culture, it does wonders for you down the road. And it's the actual recruitment tool. That mm-hmm. gets out and you always have a pool of people who want to work for you. I mean, it's it's a smart lesson to actually learn to think long term, not just freak out because a month is going wrong. You have yeah. to balance that. It is pretty great that I honestly still have people who reach out to me a lot and say, whenever you have a position open, please let me know because I want to work for you guys. That's pretty awesome. So let's get into some food questions, because obviously you are the commander in beef. So what are the keys to a perfect burger in in your opinion? Okay. (laughs) I'm very particular on this one. Get rid of that 80-20 blend and let's jack it up with some flavor, okay? We need a 70-30. That is flavor. It is, that's like the key, okay? Like you're not going to have, you know, I do thinner burgers, so... Some people want, um, they, they're afraid with the thinner that it's going to be drier. But when you have that 70-30 that's carrying that, it's basically poaching this burger and like juicy, delicious beef fat. And so I'm all for 70-30. I personally like the thinner style burgers. I like that griddle mark. I love the caramelization and all of that, the little crispy ends. I love that. So I'm, I'm team three-ounce patties. And... Three or four ounce, I guess. I go back and forth. We do four ounce at the restaurant, but good bun. You have to have a solid bun. Like 50% of your whole burger, it well, 25 is beef, 25 
burger or bun and then the rest, you know, condiments and stuff. But those are like 50% of it. You better have good quality beef, good quality bun. Because if I pick up a burger and it's like soggy from the juice, again, my burgers are super juicy. You're not going to have a soggy bun at any of my places, like no soggy buns. And resting your burger is important so that you don't have a soggy bun. Treating your burger as if you would a steak. Let it rest for a little bit. Get those juices back in there. My blend is a short rib chuck, sometimes some Wagyu trimming in there for some good fat, you know. So I do mostly a short rib chuck blend and toppings. I love the hot cold contrast with burgers. I love a good garden. I love a good pickle. Don't get those bowling alley pickles, like those creepy (laughs) neon green. It looks like you're drinking like or like eating slash drinking antifreeze. It's like neon gross. No, get a good quality pickle that has that crunch in there. And I always do the kosher pickles. Those are, that's my jam. And then a good salt and pepper, you know, it's, it really surprises me now cooking more doing like I do online cooking classes. And so I'm cooking for, you know, your folks at home how many people are uneducated about their salt and pepper? It like freaks me out going to other people's homes and then they give me like iodized salt. And I'm like, that's what you seasoned my food with. So just, I like a good flaky kosher salt, a good thick cracked pepper, like butcher style pepper. It gives it a crunch to it. You can actually taste the pepper. Whereas if it's fine ground pepper, it's going to burn. So I, I just don't really care for that. I like the texture. So yeah, that's a lot. But if you can manage that, you got a good burger. <laughs> what are some culinary trends that have your attention in, in a positive way? Well, we'll do the which ones you don't like in a second. But what are some trends that you yes. like right now? I am loving the global influence. I, you know, it's probably been around for a little while, but it's like really hitting here in Cincinnati now. And I love it. I, you can't tell because I'm so pasty white, but my family is Filipino. So I grew up with, you know, an Asian background. And so a lot of my cooking, naturally, I like to, you know, throw a little Asian influence in there. But just seeing how creative people are getting, I don't really care for the word fusion. But (laughs) it just, yeah, I think that got overused. But the fun the concept of it is still something I really do enjoy. You know, I do, uh, the other side of my family is Jewish. So it's funny, you got a Filipino Jew here, but they, you know, matzo ball is a huge thing. So like I did a matzo ball ramen every year during the Jewish holidays here in town. That's a big hit. So that's a lot of fun. I I love seeing the uh, eclectic global type of trends that are going. I also am really digging, which I can't believe I'm going to say this publicly, I am digging the plant-based movement to a point, okay? You know, I did this during COVID when we're trying to obviously make ends meet. I accidentally actually made a cauliflower fried chicken sandwich. It was just like, it was just one, I was prepping cauliflower steaks and I thought to myself like, huh, I wonder if I fried this up like chicken because I am craving a chicken sandwich right now. So I just was testing it out and I did it just like Popeye's is my favorite chicken sandwich for any reference, but I did a Popeye style plant-based chicken sandwich and we posted it online as just like a family meal. And 
I, it just boomed. And everyone's like, how do I get that? How do I get that? And so we started selling it and we would sell out within two hours and then we'd make like a hundred more and we'd sell out in two and a half hours. And then it just kept going and going. I seriously felt like I worked at Popeye's and (laughs) my name commander and beef was jeopardized for a minute, but I do appreciate the creativity that comes with plant-based and there is a market for it. You know, I, of course I get annoyed anytime there's like all these allergies on the ticket and stuff like that. Not annoyed, but you know, it, it is, it's a oh, process. Yeah, sure. yeah. So if you make it a part of your menu, then there won't be a process. It'll be easier to execute. You're hitting a market that you need to. And so it's all good things coming from that movement. So now we get to do the trend that you wish would die or a couple trends maybe you have that you wish just would leave the culinary world forever. Yeah, I'm really sick of truffle oil. <laughs> like I'm I'm uh, I currently have a menu item that I do use a little truffle oil on and it's one of our top sellers and I'm really wanting to move it. I want to take it off. I know I'll get the hate mail from it, but I'm I'm still we are we're basically I think by fall we will remove that it's the truffle brie chicken on our menu but I I think we'll remove that because I am about burnt out of all things truffle oh I tell you what these tiktok things are really like they're just getting weird you did you see like that pink sauce or something that's like a big tick I saw an article but I don't have tiktok so I don't know what it is those weird things that people are like, let's put up these crazy concoctions like eating mustard with watermelon. Like, it's just getting too weird, people. Just let food be food. <laughs> let's not try and mess it up. Although I can't remember. There was one that was like very interesting and delicious. I can't remember what it was now. Dang it. But <laughs> I, yeah, I think those those weird food combinations that are like, I think people just TikTokers want people just to film themselves and their reactions eating how gross this stuff is so uh, i guess there's a market for that too yeah (laughs) gotta chase the clout yeah yeah so i think uh it's definitely truffle i think i'm over the truffle so this is a kind of a weird one to to go out on but i thought it'd be fun because i asked duffy this on one of his ig lives but is there a, a culinary technique that you heard about or maybe you were taught for a second in culinary school and then you never tried it again but then you thought oh this could work in theory but that you tried and you're like no this technique is not for me I know it's kind of a strange one but technique Duffy said knives definitely knives there's just so many there's a knife that apparently never needs to be sharpened I haven't gotten my hands on it yet but that's just like not I just don't think that's possible I just don't think that's a thing no, it's a French steel or something. I'm not even sure. The handle is so weird. It's like a triangle handle. So off the bat, I'm like, I don't even like the way this feels in my hand. No. Um, let strange. alone. Yeah. Yeah. Real strange. Goodness. This might be a wor- bad answer for like a bad question for me. I really don't think I have one. I think actually picking the, the wrong knives has got to be incredibly frustrating. I, I'm assuming that really good chefs don't just order a knife online. They need to go and feel it and before they're going to invest because, I mean, chef's knives, professional knives are not inexpensive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, here's what I will say, actually. Chef knives, yes. I have learned 
people would go after ones. I was guilty of it in the beginning of my career too. The ones that looked all pretty and the cool handle. And then you realize they would barely hold their edge and you're stuck sharpening it every single time. And like all this stuff, those, uh, a lot of your Asian knives are going to be, um, in that realm. But honestly, I've had some good luck with, I use Nissan. They're, they're a brand that I, I use and I like their knives. So I guess you can get pretty caught up on like the flashy stuff. Chef coats is one of them. Also shoes. People <laughs> hate on Crocs. I'm pro Crocs. Okay. I'm a life supporter of Crocs. I even got cute sandal version of Crocs that you wouldn't even know are actual Crocs. <laughs> they are sexy sandals and they're Crocs. Okay. But I think the chef shoes, which Duffy is all about burning that in my brain and making sure that you have good quality chef shoes. But I get scared because I don't think he's a pro. I don't think he's a fan of props, but I love props. And then chef coats. Those are one that people like they spend all that money to get the really expensive flashy one. But chef works does a great job at giving affordable ones. I've actually been a part of helping them design their new line of female chef coats which thank God we're starting to get into because unisex is like not it for the ladies. Like we got curves, you know, we need to be able to ventilate some of them curves and the unisex ones don't have that. So I think making sure you just do your research and know that not the flashiest price tag or the coolest looking thing is going to be the thing that's going to work for you. So when it comes to the chef's coats, do the, do the colors mean anything? I mean, you'll see like, uh, like I feel like the black chef coat, especially with like gold detailing is very imposing. Is that, is that just because the person wants a black chef coat or is this actually meaning? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think there's any meaning. I mean, typically obviously white is pretty standard. I'm not a white chef coat kind of girl. I'm going to stain it. You know, it is what it is. And so I don't want to worry about the whites. I do respect them. I understand that, you know, coming from a French culinary background, obviously I understand it. it is a, you know, it shows how good and of a chef you are, how clean and organized and all these things. But I wear all black in my real life for the most part. So I'm an all black chef coat type of girl. I'm, I'm not into the flashy colors. You know, some chefs will have their bright blue ones or pinks or whatever it is. It's just a personality thing. I'm more about cool socks. That's like where I shine my personality from. I used to make sure I had all different like food theme socks, but that was like my thing was the fun socks. But yeah, I don't think chef coat colors mean anything besides just personality. I mean, they look cool on TV, but sometimes I've been like, wow, that person is very intense and they're wearing a black chef coat and i wonder if that means like i'm this level of chef i have a black maybe <laughs> maybe it might be like as dark as my soul type of vibes maybe so you've got commander of beef and i saw that you were going to do i guess cooking with kayla is coming mm -hmm. back you said to ig is there anything else we should be looking for i mean is there going to be a return to Chopped or Guy's Grocery Games or your own show maybe or anything? Yep. Yep. Some things are in the works. I okay. can't go public with it too much. But yes, you will be seeing me more on the boob tube. And awesome. um, yeah, I'm excited. You know, the TV stuff, it, it's great. It's fun. But that does not mean that 
you're a better chef, you know, just because you've, you've got the TV personality side to things. It really doesn't mean anything about being a chef. You know, the guy who I was up against, I mean, both times and chopped and at, on guys grocery games, they are talented chefs. It just meant I played a better game. You know, I, I was able to either make a better decision on executing or my time or anything like that. But it does not mean that I'm better than they are. They are just such incredible chefs. And, and that's what's cool. You know, I get nervous, you know, coming from that era of the whole, like the food TV chef type of thing. And I, you know, in culinary school, everybody wanted, that's like what they went to culinary school for was to do the TV stuff. And it's like, that's not what this business is about. It's very rare that you get to do the TV stuff, but that it's exciting. You know, it's cool that you get to show your loved ones and represent yourself and your company and your, and your restaurant on a public national level. So that's incredible. But really what is the, you know, what makes it is being in the kitchen and being with your team and those Saturday nights at the end of it. And you just high five and bear hug, you know, we all say to each other, like with wholehearted meaning of I love you at the end of every night, you know, it might be a little too like mushy gushy for some, but you know, it truly is like, hi, bye, love you. Have a good weekend. Like it's, it's, in that. it's a family aspect and that beats any food competition that I've ever been on. I want to ask you a follow-up. That's such a good place to end. <laughs> the <podcast. laughs> I'm still going to ask you. So okay. which one is more intimidating chopped or guys grocery games? Mm, okay. Chopped was terrifying. It really was. Now I will say both shows, the crew are, they are just so nice. And that's another thing about work culture when you talk about that, because the crew have been a part of these shows since almost the beginning. So Chopped, I think, was 50 seasons, if not more, than I, when I was on. And the director has been the director since day one. Like him and Ted Allen were like, like family bickering like family too it was, pretty, it was really funny so it was you know that was that was cool to see but guys I guess is uh, I would kind of, I guess I'm gonna have to say guys I don't know guys is difficult because he throws in curveballs right it's like you know you had the but I had the budget restraint I had the time restraint two things that I work pretty well with one being um you know when I started off as a cook I was, you know, I was a single mom. I was on food stamps. That's honestly what got me to cook a lot was because I had food stamps. Had the, That was really the only thing I had. And um, so I cooked all the time. So budgeting, quite the tea on that one. And then um, time because I work in a fast, fast paced casual restaurant. So I'm turning and burning. But chopped, I had never worked with protein powder, like cooking with it. I had to cook with chocolate protein powder. I had to cook with Pop Rocks, which Pop Rocks don't like heat. That thing like explodes all over you. What was the other weird thing I had to cook with? Oh, shiitake flavored mushroom candy canes. That was disgusting. Wow. Even of how good I could have tried to make it, the, the judges were like, this is great. But this caramel that you made out of this like mushroom thing is terrible. And it's like, yeah, there is no way of making <laughs> mushroom candy canes taste good. So they each just have their different challenges, but Chopped is 
really nerve wracking because it is such a, you know, it's one of the longest cooking shows out there. It's one of the hardest, but they both definitely have their challenges. I was just curious that I feel like Guy actually is a nice guy. So I was like, I wonder. He is. (laughs) Yeah. He really, really is a really nice guy. And um, it's really cool how, I don't know if you saw my episode, but he called my daughter at the end of it and told her I won. And, you know, just to see, you would have thought it was scripted. He even like, after he got off the phone with her, he's like, was that scripted? Did you tell her to say all these things? I was like, I didn't even know you were going to call her. (laughs) So no, it just her saying and hearing like how proud she was of me. And she knew I'd do a great job, no matter if I won or if I lost, you know, all these like, just heart wrenching things. That's so I'm not wrenching, but like, you know, so proud. That's all you want as a parent is to hear you made your kids proud. And um, guy, you know, he at the end of it, after he got off the call with uh, Dre, normally, you'd have to run around the store to do some scavenger hunt to get the money. And he just gave me the 20 grand right then and there. So, you know, guys, a really nice guy. <laughs> he he <laughs> offered me a life changing moment in that that was just really cool just a really good person do you think your daughter will pursue uh culinary you know i don't know she um you know during covid when we did the cooking with kayla she was a part of that she really did like that surprisingly because i thought she's at that age where she spends too much time with me i'm like annoying so (laughs) i was surprised she kept going with me on that one so uh we're bringing back cooking with kayla i she's she's now demanding payment on this one so i'll have to pay her she'll be my sous chef so i think i think i don't know what she's gonna do whatever she does do i think she'll be an activist of some sort because that girl loves to argue and prove a point so uh i think she'll be an activist but she helps out in the kitchen i mean she she rolls silverware at the restaurant um she very much has grown up in the kitchen um again with being a single mom she's been everywhere I've gone. Um, she's sat on pickle buckets while I was at Nation. Luckily at Arnold's, my boss set up a really cool 72-inch TV with like a PlayStation for her. So she's like got it made wow. if she doesn't want to roll silverware. And she, we have live music. So we have pianos there and she learned to play piano. And now she goes to a performing arts school. So she might be a musician, maybe even performing at Arnold's one day. Who knows? It sounds like everybody should work at Arnold's at least one time. Yeah, the <laughs> come stage. <laughs> we pay our stages, so. So one yeah. more time, how can people get a hold of you on social? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Commander in Beef. That's Commander the letter in Beef. Somebody has I in. I need to like find them and get that from them. <laughs> but come Commander the letter in Beef. Kayla, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Bar Hacks podcast produced by KRG Hospitality and hosted by me, David Clem. If you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Follow us on Twitter at Ask Bar Hacks and Instagram at Bar Hacks. Talk to you soon.